Hi, everyone. Welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. I'm Like Rockadopolis. And I'm Lance Rockadopolis. And today we're going to talk about objectification. So this is the first of a two-part discussion. Initially, we were planning to focus just on physical objectification. For example, human furniture, human dildo, types of play involving treating Lance like an inanimate object. However, while we were researching for this episode, I came across an entry on objectification in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, and it referenced the work of Martha Nussbaum, who happens to be my favorite living philosopher, and also another philosopher named Ray Langton. Together, they came up with 10 quote-unquote features of misogynistic objectification that happen also to be very applicable to consensual objectification in kinky play. So we're going to use those 10 features to help shape our discussion. But first, here are two very basic definitions of objectification from the Oxford English Dictionary via Google. The first definition is that objectification is the action of degrading someone to the status a mere object. For example, the objectification of women in popular entertainment. And the second definition is the expression of something abstract in a concrete form. So, for example, quote, the objectification of images may be astonishingly vivid in dreams. The first definition is extremely self-evident. The second one is a little more interesting because it references ideas. And we're going to visit this definition in part two. But I also want to bring up the grammatical approach to objectification in the context of making something or someone the receiver of an action or the target of desire. It's the idea of seeing a person or a thing as a goal instead of as a subject, as a person with their own desires and goals. And this type of objectification is more pernicious in some ways than pure dehumanization, and also probably more common, especially when it involves sex and romance. And it's extremely common when it comes to femdom, right? One of the greatest ironies of the kink world is how frequently and intensely femdoms are objectified. So this episode is based largely on the work of the philosopher Martha Nussbaum, who is my very favorite living philosopher. She has identified seven different types or quote-unquote features of objectification, and will also include three features from Ray Langton. And FYI, we found this overview of objectification in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. So we'll discuss each type of objectification separately, as well as how we pervert them and want to pervert them in the future for our own prurient and megalomaniacal purposes. So the first feature of objectification is instrumentality. 
the treatment of a person as a tool for the objectifier's purposes. A really good example of that in the vanilla world would be alienation of labor, straight out of Marx. It's basically when people are forced, typically in capital-driven economies, to do work that is basically not meaningful or important to them, to the worker, and doesn't involve the worker using their personal gifts or talents. Yeah, something that is basically beneath them, but they're doing it anyway to just make a living so that they can survive. I don't know if it's necessarily beneath them. I think it's just not something that they want to do or you know, have any, any kind of particular talent for. Mm. Another example of instrumentality would be a trophy wife, right? A trophy wife is a beautiful, perfectly mannered woman that a businessman marries in order to impress other businessmen to demonstrate his own status, mm -hmm. maybe his wealth and his sexual prowess. So instrumentality can certainly be kinkified. Any kind of power exchange dynamic where the sub is doing any kind of service for the dom would be an example of instrumentality. But of course, right off the bat, there's a potential dilemma because many times the sub is feeling gratified by being made to serve and by the service itself. Yeah, indeed. Uh, when I'm serving you by cooking for you, making sure that my place is relatively clean and I've cleaned your car for you, working on this podcast with you is another example of how I serve you. All those things are very pleasurable to me and I do have a sense of gratification. Right. Like we've talked about in the past, I mean, kink has this way of taking something dark and making it light, mm -hmm. taking something ugly, making it beautiful. Right. I really like to feel useful. And you've mentioned to me that you consider me a trophy wife, and <laughs> I kind of find that amusing. Yeah. And honestly, when I compliment your body, which is very nice, and your beautiful face, it's also with an eye to objectification, and there's always a tinge of humiliation in that, is there not? <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not to me. <laughs> I'm basically very appreciative of that. That's because it's... you're a basic bitch. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so it's really not alienation of labor, but you also do ask me to make you do things that you don't want to do, especially unpleasant things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it's because I do want to feel that sense of an alienation. Right, it's part of your masochism, maybe? Yes, to an extent, but in addition to that, there's also a sense of being pushed beyond my, quote, normal capabilities. Uh, whenever I'm forced to do something new, even though it may be unpleasant at the time, there's this personal growth that's occurring. So there is pleasure that can be derived in learning something new. Uh, that is developmental. I see working on this podcast as developmental because the research that we're doing is exposing me to new ideas. But there is always the possibility and potential of feeling frustrated because I'm not getting things right. But that's a risk you're willing to take. I, and I appreciate you for that. That's so sweet. As someone who's not a submissive, I'm often a little bit perplexed and also impressed 
by how subs will turn any new task or challenge into self-development. Drinking someone's pee to me would not be (laughs) self-development, but for many subs, you know, it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's just this, it's just an aside, but it's it's really admirable, but also something that seems to be really just specific to submissives that they, mm-hmm. everything's self-development, anything nasty that you ask a submissive <laughs> to do, they're going to be like, cool, self-development. It's going to make me a better person. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's wonderful and not relatable. <laughs> <laughs> it is to me. Right. So the second feature that we're going to talk about is denial of autonomy. The treatment of a person as lacking in autonomy and self-determination. So in the vanilla world, one might see this in the history of how differently abled people, as well as children and women, have been treated like they don't really have the innate ability to care for themselves. And while that's true in some cases, over the last half century or so, In many parts of the world, we've come to see how much potential for autonomy and self-determination is possible for people in those groups. Mm -hmm. When I think of how women were treated in the past, when they weren't even allowed to open bank accounts without their husband's permission, and how people today want to go back to that, for example, by celebrating the recent Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, It just makes me very angry. So one type of kinky play or lifestyle that exemplifies denial of autonomy would be ABDL, adult baby diaper lever, right? The idea is that that person cannot hold in their bowel movements or Mm. their, their basic bodily functions like a little baby. And some dynamics involve power exchange that is detailed and all-encompassing, where the sub has to ask permission literally to do anything. He mm-hmm. literally can't make a move without permission. Right. That would include being required to ask to go to the bathroom or even to use the sub's owned earned money. I've agreed to this lifestyle and really welcome the loss of autonomy. I don't think we do loss of autonomy to a large degree, I'm thinking that would really place a large burden on you. But there is an element of this in our relationship because I think it helps our dynamic. Sometimes I have some difficulty in determining that I should be asking for permission for certain things. And it's not obvious to me when I should be asking you. What has helped a little is requiring of me to ask to use the bathroom. It puts me in the correct submissive frame of mind. You currently still choose my meals when we go to restaurants. So that's another example. Yeah. So there are some very specific areas where I don't let you have autonomy, but they are few and far between. I can see how people would enjoy doing that for a night or a weekend but it's hard for me to imagine doing it 24-7 for an extended period of time. I wouldn't even want to do it for a weekend. It kind of reminds me of the movie Pretty Woman, where the prostitute gets hired for a weekend, 
it would need to involve a very large chunk of change for me to even consider it. And prostitution is a hard limit for me. So hmm. so how do we feel about loss of autonomy and what it means to us? I think it could be helpful for me to remain meek and humble if we increase that you know, sense of lost autonomy. Obviously, I don't feel good about the idea of it as a global approach to our relationship, but I do like the idea that in small doses, it can keep you in a submissive frame of mind. And I do like the feeling of exercising my control over you on a regular basis. It helps me keep my dominant frame of mind. Hmm. The third feature of objectification is inertness, the treatment of a person as lacking in agency and perhaps also in activity. So in the vanilla world, this one is similar to denial of autonomy, but it also implies the lack of any kind of movement or change physically, but also psychologically, emotionally, intellectually. I like this one as a particularly shitty and demeaning way that people treat and talk about each other. Uh, <laughs> it's basically a way of saying that people are sheeple, specific individuals and people in general, like people who spend their lives lapping up the latest trends in popular culture. I realize that that is a very dehumanizing thing to say, but that is something that I have noticed. Of course, there are plenty of sheeple in the kink world, but in terms of kinky play, an obvious example of inertness would be human furniture. Another would be human ash tray, which is something that I've thought about for a long time, but I haven't quite been ready to do it. Hmm. Yeah, I was very surprised to hear that you are willing or wanting to do the human ashtray kink. I'm all in f and support you and your kinky desires. I have not thought about it much, but I must admit that since we've been discussing it, I have looked into it more and more, and I do like the idea of being forced to ingest something that's <laughs> pretty disgusting and potentially might burn a sensitive area. That, to me, is tremendously erotic. Yeah, it, it's scary because it's burning, mm -hmm. right? And it's on your tongue. It's not just like tapping the ash into your mouth. It's also putting the cigarette out on your tongue. And then, Yikes. Yeah. I don't smoke. Smoking makes me sick. I don't use tobacco products. I have thought about trying a, a cigar. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you smoke cigars. Occasionally. So that's a possibility, but they usually have a larger circumference. Mm -hmm. So that would be more of a burn on your tongue. Yeah, it's going to be painful, no doubt. <laughs> you sound so worried about it. <laughs> I'm going to have to look into mitigation measures. <laughs> Maybe generate some saliva in my mouth before you actually do that. That's a good idea. Uh, yikes. And there there are the little, little cigars that, that mm -hmm. we would have to use. You'd also have to teach me how to 
smoke a cigar so that I wasn't inhaling since yeah. all of my smoking experience has been with weed. And, you know, you, <laughs> I'm used to like <laughs> keeping it in my lungs as long as possible. And that would just make me vomit if it were with tobacco. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, by the way, I, I have not smoked weed since my early 20s, not counting last a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> But that was just an experiment. Yeah, definitely okay. no inhaling. But you mentioned the human furniture, the, the footstool. We don't do that very often, but we have done that once or twice. Uh, more frequently, you use me as a body pillow while sleeping and require me to remain relatively still. Yes, his bed is basically a sinkhole of softness, and it kind of messes with my back. So I just basically use his legs as a prop for one of my legs just to help with the, the back issue there. Yeah, we do that every night. That's, mm -hmm. that's a very regular thing. I hadn't thought of that. One thing that I did think about is having me stand in a corner, basically like a child for a length of time. Would that fall under this category? Well, it's inertia, right? I mean, that's torture for a child. I mean, putting your nose in the corner. We did this once at Domcom LA and also once at the Scarlet Ranch. Which is a swingers club. Right. On kink night, um, you had me wait while you went to the bathroom. You had me stand in the corner. It felt deliciously humiliating. There was this one woman that came up to me during that instance and said that I looked like I was peeing in the corner. Speaking of peeing, we also have fantasized, at least I have, about being used as a urinal. I'd like to be able to perform that service for you. I think that's just a logistics thing. You know, like, I, I don't have a penis, so I can't, like, direct the urine in a specific way. So we'd have to have a more elaborate kind of setup. It would be great if I did have a penis for multiple reasons, but especially if I could just like direct it right into your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In terms of human furniture, I do like making him my footstool. I haven't done it that often because I, I just feel guilty. No, you shouldn't. Okay. He is an extremely comfortable footstool. He's firm <laughs> but soft and, and just the right height when I'm sitting on his couch. Yeah. For, for me, it's pleasurable because I'm being controlled and humiliated. Keeping still is a, a challenge. After a while, any position will start to become uncomfortable. And so there is that masochistic component to it. Okay, so now we are going to pause our discussion of kinky objectification. And we'll continue it in episode five. So until next time. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and have a great week. Mm -hmm.